Well, good morning alive. It's great to have you here this morning. It's going to be a great series starting next week. But let me welcome you here today. It's great to have you here. We welcome those worshiping with us online, Mount Moriah, uh, Pleasant View, Pelzer. We're so grateful to have you guys with us today and everyone else watching and worshiping with us. It's great to be here. We're closing up shop on this series called Punch that we've been in over the last several weeks. And we've been looking at some of life's hard knocks that, that come our way, things that challenge us, things that change us, things that shape us. And what we've been discovering over the last several weeks that it's in these moments that God can actually do a redeeming work. He can actually bring good in some of the most difficult and challenging times of our life. And we've also been discovering that it's in these moments that, that God can actually do the best work because he's a God that transforms. He's a God that wants to transform us to be more and more like Christ. And if we just let him do that, we'll stand on the other side and we'll be stronger, we'll be better. And you'll have a testimony because somebody's coming behind you. It's going to go through the same thing and you can do anything, uh, you can do something to make a difference in that life. So we've been talking about that over the last several weeks. Last week, we kind of flipped the script a little bit and talked about not necessarily what the punch was, but our reaction to the punch. And no doubt when, when something happens that we don't plan, when there's a change or someone treats us wrong or we get a diagnosis from a doctor that we don't like or something happens, a lot of times the reaction is to get mad, to get angry at that. And we discovered last week that anger left unchecked, well, it could lead to a whole lot of other troubles and a whole lot of other issues. And today I want to talk about another reaction as we close this series out. Another reaction because chances are if you don't get angry, if you didn't get angry, then you very well could get depressed. Like you can enter into a season of depression where you just feel the weight of it all like you 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 feel how heavy it gets and maybe you get to that place where you say if one more thing happens to me if I get one more piece of, piece of bad news if I'm asked to carry one more load one more burden I don't know if I'm going to make it and sometimes we just get overwhelmed and it could usher, usher us into a season of depression and like anger depression can lead you to a whole lot of other hurts a whole lot of other issues, a whole lot of other problems in your life can take you to a very dark place. And I just want to say up front, I've been preparing this now for a couple of weeks, and I just feel in my spirit that maybe some of you who are here today, some of you worshiping with us online, I feel that some of you may be dealing with depression at a pretty high level. Maybe not in all of you, but I, I believe we all deal with depression in some capacity at some point in our life. But I just feel and sense in my spirit that maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're listening this morning, and you're, you're dealing with it at a, at a high level. And if that's the case, listen, I do not wish to disrespect what it is that you're going through by thinking that I can fix it in the next 30 minutes. Like, I don't, want, I don't want to think, well, just do this, say that, and then all of a sudden you'll be fine. I, now listen, I believe God can bring change, absolutely, 100%. But I believe that he's a, he's a God of a process, he's a, he's a God of transformation we just talked about. That God can take you uh, on, on this process of changing. And these moments where we gather together for worship, where, where we hear the songs and, and we sing those songs and we hear from his word, well these are moments that God can use to put you in a process of change. To begin to work, these oftentimes are catalysts to, to the transformation, to jumpstart the process. And so I believe that God could put you on that process, and I believe that's very, 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 very true. And 
But I also believe in other methods as well. I believe God's given us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And in some cases where we've created medication, where we've created uh, counseling and therapy, and I'm all for that. But if you leave God out of the equation, then, then you're not going to get the true power that you need to find a remedy for this depression like you're, you're going to miss out on what it is that can truly save you. And Jesus is the, truly the only one that can bring fulfillment in life to that. You just need to know that. That's just where we got to start with that. So wherever you are this morning, you just need to understand that. Now, before we go any further, let's make sure that we have a, 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 a clear understanding of what depression is. Like, like, like make sure we've got a working definition that we're all kind of on the same page. Here's depression. Depression, this is what I found this week in my study. Depression is a hopelessness. Now, the problem is a lot of us, we stop right there. That's it. That, 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 that's me. It's a hopelessness. It's a disparity. It's, it's something that's not working out in my life. And unfortunately, we, we don't get the whole definition. We just resonate with the first part of that. But make sure you get the whole definition. It's a hopelessness that is not consistent with reality. It's not true. We believe it to be true. It feels very true. We receive it as truth. We live our lives as if it's true. We allow it to change the way we live and feel about ourselves. But it, at the end of the day, it's just not true. It's a deception. If I would ask 10 people to describe depression, to define depression with one word, I'd be willing to bet that that one word from those 10 people would be Darkness. Like it's just, it's just dark. I, I, I just can't seem to find my way out. I can't seem to make any, the right decisions. I can't seem to, to figure things out. And it just seems like every time I do something, I, I do the wrong thing. It just seems so dark. And another problem with depression is it comes with the stigma. Like we really think something's mentally wrong. Like, I mean, if, if I have a sickness or, or, or if I'm hurt, then I take care of that and people understand that. But they don't understand it's depression, and so it comes with a stigma. And because of that stigma, then we have to pretend, right? We, we can't let anybody know that we're going through that. I, I just got to put a smile on my face, and so on the outside, I'm smiling, but on the inside, I'm dying. And we come to church, and we play the game, and we look good. We say the right things. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is good all the time, right? Like, and we, we say that, we believe that, and, and then we get in our car, and we're just as defeated as we ever were. And we begin to wonder, am I ever going to get out of this darkness? Am I ever going to see this depression come to an end? Well, good morning. Welcome to church. Aren't you glad you came this morning? <laughs> like, man, pastor came in hot, right? <laughs> Jumped in the deep end of the pool, right? Let me give you a little bit of good news. If you're here this morning and you, you're dealing with depression, or you know someone that's in depression, or maybe you've been in that season for a period of time, you're in good company. You're, you're, you're not alone. It's okay. In fact, let me say it this way. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. Because, when you, because you actually resonate with a lot of people, right? You're in good company. I love the fact that the Bible is perfect. I believe that the Bible is perfect. I believe it's written perfect from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelations. I believe it's infallible. I believe it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. I believe it's God-ordained, God-breathed. I, I believe it's written perfectly by imperfect people. 
I appreciate the fact that those who wrote the Bible, inspired by God, were people who experienced moments of weakness, moments of trouble, moments of failure, moments of questioning. I love the fact that, that it was written by people who were not Perfect. They did not have it all together. They were called by God. They loved God. They lived for God. They believed in God, but they had issues. They dealt with their own inadequacies. They, they would even go through some seasons of depression. In fact, you can go to the Old Testament. There's a whole book called Lamentations. It's the prophet Jeremiah. He's a prophet called by God, and all he can do is cry. And he wrote a whole book about that. It's just, where are you? Why are you? How come this? And, and why come I'm me? I mean, it's just a bunch of questioning. You can look at the story of King David. He's the king. And he would go on these emotional roller coaster rides that would just take him through this emotional kind of wreck that he would be sometimes. In fact, I want to show you one. I'm going to look at one of his, his, his uh, uh, plights of, of depression. And I, I want to take you through the progression of the depression and see if, it's, if it doesn't resonate with you and perhaps maybe what you've gone through or what you know people to go through. Look where it starts. Psalms 42, he says, my tears, well, they've been my food day and night. David said, I, I just can't stop crying. I, I just, I, I can't seem to get up. I can't seem to get out of this. I can't stop crying. In fact, it's so bad. This is the only thing that sustains me. This is the only thing that consoles me. The only thing that makes me feel better. The only way that I'm getting through this is this. I have this ability to cry. And that's all I do, day and night. It's the tears of my cry, and maybe that's where you've been. Now, now, if that's the case, now watch what happens to David and see if it doesn't happen with you. Here's the next thing that happens. He says to me, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? And no doubt you felt that. You, you get punched. Life throws this curveball at you. Something happens to you. You get a diagnosis from the doctor, whatever that may be. And people, well-meaning people will say to you, well, where's your God? Where's your faith? What, what are you doing wrong? What are you doing right? How, how come God allow you to do something? This thing? And it starts to get inside our head. And David's saying, like, people are saying that to me. Where is your God? Now watch where depression takes him. It, it takes us to the same place. It gets up in his head and he says this. These things I remember. And that's the trap of depression. It would get you caught up in your thoughts. Where all you do is rehearse all the things that used to be. It's called ruminating. You just chew on it over and over and over again. The same thing. And, and you remember, this is where David is. This depression has gotten to this place. Well, all he can do is remember how it used to be. Keep reading here. He says, these things I remember. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession into the house of God. I used to be out front. I used to be leading the way. I used to be so joyful to come to the house of the Lord. I, 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 I had joy, right, with, with shouts of joy and with thanksgiving among the festive throng. And maybe that's where you've been but a time or two in your life as well. I remember those times when it felt great. I remember those times where I was so joyful and where I was so thankfulness. Where I had thankfulness in my heart. And then watch what depression does. And no doubt it's, done, it's happened to you as well. Depression is crazy, I'm telling you. Depression will say, come on, come with me, and you go with me, and then, the, and then depression will turn on you. Say, I can't believe you came. I can't believe you went there, right? And this is what David does. He goes all the way down, and then he starts getting onto himself. Right? Look what he says. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? What's wrong with you? Get yourself together. Come on, man. Make this thing happen. Make, make, you know, we, we try to pep talk ourselves and we get on to ourselves. And that's where depression takes us. But David's next statement is a, is a will of his decision. I, I want you to catch 
the next statement. Now, nothing has changed. It's in the same breath. He's still crying, right? People are still questioning God. He's still remembering these things. But look at his, look what he decides to do. He says, but put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, I want you to put a pen in that. We're going to circle back to that in just a minute. I, I want to show you another one in the New Testament, right? Just, just another person of God who's dealing with depression from time to time. It was the Apostle Paul. And, and, and Paul called by God to plant all these churches. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians. He says, we do not want you to be uniform. And again, I just love that the Bible has this in there. I love the fact that, that Paul comes in and says, listen, we, we don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want to sugarcoat anything. We don't want to hide anything. We don't want to be fake about it. We're not trying to put a smile on it. We're not trying to, we're not trying to pretend. We don't want you to be uninformed. We had a difficult time. Even though we were doing the Lord's work, it got heavy. I mean, it, it, it got difficult for us. I mean, it, it, it was tough for us, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. I mean, it, we were under great pressure. We were feeling the weight of it all. So much so, it got up in our heads. It, it really began far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Paul is saying, we were even questioning life. He's feeling the weight of it all. And even Jesus in the garden would go through this, this, this moment of despair that just resonates with us. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow even to the point of death. And even though Jesus never sinned, he would experience some of the darkest moments that we experience, and he did that for our sake. I just, I just want to show you that the Bible is full of these stories to let you, understand, to, to, to let you know that if you're going through it, you're in good company. Like, like a reaction to being punched is depression, and that's very, very real, right? We, we understand it. It relates with us. We, we get down, and we can't get up. We, we lose our motivation. We can't seem to, to make anything happen. And we, we get to this place, though, that we have to understand that it has to become a, a, a willful decision. Like, like i gotta, I got to make this happen. Listen, if you're here this morning... And you're going through some kind of a season of depression. I want you to know it is possible to overcome. But it's not probable. It's possible. But it's not probable. What do you mean? It won't happen on its own. Like if you think I'm just going to come out of this without doing anything. No, it won't happen. It is possible to overcome, but you have to make a willful decision. Let's go back to what David said when he got to him. Nothing's changed. It's in the same breath. It's in the same thought. But he gets down and he says, listen, I know all of this is happening around me. I know all of this is, is, is dark, but this is, this is what I want to do. This is what I need to understand is I'm going to put my hope in God, for I will yet praise him. That's all I'm trying to do this morning is get you to the Yet. Like, like, I, like, I know things around you are dark. I know you seem like you keep getting punched. I know things seem to be difficult. And, and, the, and your reaction is to retreat, like just to get into the cave and just get darker and darker. I may just curl up in a ball. But I'm trying to get you to the yet where you say, I will. When you make that decision, there's another charge that we find in Deuteronomy. It kind of puts it the same way. It says, this day I, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose 
life. You need to understand this morning. These choices are always going to be in front of you. There's always going to be these two choices, life and death, blessings and curse. And we're, we're encouraged to choose life. But it's got to be a willful decision, not an emotional decision. That's what I want to help you with today. Like for you, if you're going through depression, if you know someone that's going through this, I just want to try to help you today to get to that place where you choose life. And I just want to share with you three things real quick. Three areas where I can begin to choose life so that I can come out of this depression because I know God has more for me. Here's the first thing we got to do. I'm going to choose life by controlling your thoughts. You're going to choose life by controlling your thoughts. In, in other words, you got to take captive every thought. you got to take captive every thought. Now listen, let's remember the definition that we saw on depression. It, it's, it's a sense of hopelessness. That's not consistent with reality. What does that mean? It means it's a lie. It's just, it's, it's, just, it's just a lie. It's not consistent with reality. I mean, it feels like it has power, but it doesn't because it's nothing but a lie. It's nothing but a deception. I mean, you think it has more power than it actually does. I, I remember uh, when I was studying this, it just reminds me of how they used to train, how they used to capture and train elephants, either for the zoo or, or for the circus, how they used to do this. I don't know if you ever are aware of that, but they, they, would, they would trap these elephants by, they put a chain on the elephant's foot, and then on the other, this big old chain, and on the other end, they would uh, attach it to this big bamboo tree, a tree that would bend but not break. And so the elephant would try with all his might to break free. But that tree would bend but not break. And eventually what would happen is the elephant, elephant would just stop. He would give up. He would, he would move his foot and he would feel the tension of the chain. And he knew the tree wasn't going to break. So he would just stop pulling and stop tugging. And when he stopped pulling and stopped tugging, they would take the chain off the tree and put it on a tent peg. Because they knew that that elephant... Like when he moved his leg and he felt the tug, even though he could break free, he wouldn't even try. That's what depression does. It comes in and locks us in and gets us to that place that even though we can, we believe we cannot be set free. But I just want you to know this morning, you can break free. And it starts by taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. Now, listen, I know it's difficult. I, I know maybe some of you have been in a season of depression for such a long time. You've been deceived for such a long time that you don't think you can be. But let me just encourage you this morning. Here's something you need to know about your enemy. There's something you need to know about the devil. Listen, the devil has power, but he has no authority. Jesus gave the authority to you. Stop giving it away. What do you mean, Pastor? Let me explain it this way. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the devil only really has one weapon. Like we think he has a lot of arsenal. Like we think he has a lot of artillery, but he really, he only has one weapon, and that weapon is he's a liar. That's it. That's all he has. He's a liar. In fact, Jesus says that when he speaks, he, all he speaks is lies, that that is his native tongue. He is the father of lies, Jesus would say. Now, he's really good at it. And he's convinced a lot of people of a lot of things. But at the end of the day, he's just a liar. And you need to understand that. But the problem is this, though. The more we believe in his lies, the more we empower him. But it's just a lie. It's just a deception. 
The Apostle Paul says we should have this approach. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now, we're not going to fight with these physical weapons. The weapons we fight with, well, uh, they are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Paul's saying, listen, you have weapons. Actually, you, God has given you divine power through these weapons. God has weaponized you with prayer and with his word and with the Holy Spirit and with worship. And these weapons that you have actually have power to demolish these strongholds. What are the strongholds? That anything that has an, uh, uh, an oppressive grip on your life. And in this case today, we're talking about depression. Anything that sets itself up with every uh, argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We can demolish those. And what you, what you need to understand today is that God has a truth for you and a truth about you. And you need to discover what that truth is. You need to discover the truth that he has for you. You need to discover what the truth that he has about you. But depression comes in and robs you of that. And the only way that you can discover that is get to this part, that we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. you got to control your thoughts and take captive every one of them and make it obedient to Christ. I want to give you just a couple of practical applications, things that you can possibly do. What are we doing here? We're going to choose in life by controlling your thoughts. What's my response? i got to replace the lies with God's truth. You can start doing that today. I'm going to replace the lies. Well, I've always lived this way. I guess I'm always going to. No, no, no. That's not how God sees you. Well, my mama was this way, and this is the way she taught me, and I guess this is the way I'm going to. No, no, that's not how God sees you. My daddy was this way, and I'm always going to be this way, or my, this always happens in my life, and I'm always kind of. No, no, no. That's not how God sees you. God sees in you what you can't even see in yourself. You need to stop buying those lies and stop believe and, and replace them with God's truth. All right, I got to get moving here. Let's go to the next one. Here's the second thing I want to focus on. How you can choose life. You choose life by fixing your eyes. Now, it's true that the devil only has one weapon and he's a liar, but he also only needs a foothold. Like, all he needs is a little sliver, a little opening. Like, just leave the door cracked a little bit. Like, just leave the window unlocked, whatever it may be. All he needs is just a little bit of an opening to wreak havoc on your life. I'm amazed. We, we let things enter our body, how we let things enter our body with no regard, no regulations, no restrictions, no, no thought. And, right? We, we let anything and everything come into our body, and then we wonder, why am I so negative? Why am I so tempted with this? Why, why am I so oppressed? Why, why do I'm going through these feelings? Right? And, and it's like we let anything and everything come into our body, and then we just kind of question why, why we do this. Listen, you need to understand. You need to get a hold of the things that you allow to come into your body. Now, I'm not going to stand on the stage and give you a list of things you should do and you shouldn't do. I'm not going to stand up here and just say, well, this is right and this is wrong. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do my best to lead you to a place where the Holy Spirit can begin to point those things out to you. You just need to understand how serious it is and how much it can affect your entire body, like the things that you allow to come in. You just need to understand. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He says this, the eye, and let me just stop right there. That, that's the point of issue. 
Like if you're here this morning and you're struggling with this and you're here this morning and you're battling this, the point of issue is here. It's at your eye. The point of issue is not at the point of decision, you understand. The point of issue is at the point of entry. Why are you allowing to come into your body? Jesus comes in and he says, listen, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, well, guess what? Your whole body is going to be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. The eye, Jesus is saying, is the lamp to the body. So everything about your body is coming through this point of entry. So the question is this, what are you fixing your eyes on this morning? I mean, what are, you, what are you looking at you shouldn't be looking at? What are you entertaining that you shouldn't be entertaining? When we fix our eyes, though, we're full of light. When we fix our eyes, then we have hope. When we fix our eyes, then all of a sudden things begin to make a little sense. Like when we guard those things and we, listen, Paul would say it this way. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. That sounds great this morning, right? I mean, some of you here this morning, you're going through this depression. You're like, man, I need some of that. I, I, I'll take some of that. I, 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 I need to stop losing heart. Well, when you fix your eyes, you do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are, be, we are being renewed day by day. So on the outside, all of these things are happening, and they're attacking our bodies, and we can't control uh, most of those things, right? We can't control that, but I can control what happens on the inside, and I'm going to, be, I'm going to choose to be renewed day by day. When I fix my eyes, look what happens. It says, for our light and our momentary troubles, where they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That the things that punch us in life, the things that make difficult for us in life, they actually are achieving for us something. He said, well, that sounds great. How, how do I get to that? By fixing our eyes. Not on what is seen, but on what's unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I'm going to choose life by fixing my eyes. What's my response? I got to guard what I let come into my body. I'm just trying to encourage you this morning. I, I know it's a heavy topic. I, I, I know it gets us to a dark place. I just, want to, I, I just want to see how you can begin to make some decisions where you can begin to choose life. Here's the last one. I'm going to choose life by setting your hope in God. Now, look, before you check this box, before you say, okay, I got that one, make sure we understand what that truly means. Make sure we have a proper understanding of what this means. This can be powerful, and it really is a matter of just changing your perspective. I want to show you what I'm talking about in the story of Lazarus. If you grew up in the church and you heard the story of Lazarus, if you didn't grow up in the church, let me give you the quick version of that. There's Lazarus, there's Mary and Martha, they're, they're brothers and sisters, and um, they, 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 uh, they actually have a relationship with Jesus. Mary, if you remember the story, Mary's the one who, who busted into the Pharisee's house and poured uh, a perfume on Jesus' feet and then washed his feet with her hair. Like, they got close. I mean, they, they, they're close. And, and Jesus uh, loved Lazarus. We know this from this story. Lazarus is the one who Jesus loves. Like, so we know that there's a relationship. They have history. Well, Lazarus gets sick. He's dying. And Mary and Martha, where well, they send word to Jesus... Hey, the one you love, Lazarus, is dying. We need you to come back here. And Jesus waits two whole days. 
before he even begins to make the journey. Two whole days before he begins to make the journey. And by the time he gets back to them, well, Lazarus has died. In fact, he's been dead and he's been buried for four days. And everyone is upset. And rightfully so. I mean, Lazarus is a beloved man in the community. He's a beloved family member. He had a relationship with Jesus. They know Jesus could have done something. He could have came earlier. He's Jesus. He could have done something, but he chose not to. And so they don't get it. They don't understand it. And everyone is upset. But I like Martha's perspective here. Now, now, now don't get it wrong. Martha's upset. But she has a different perspective than anyone else in this story. When Martha heard this, John uh, 11, verse 20, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Mary's dealing with this grief, but Martha's like, no, I got, I got to see Jesus. And so she makes her way. And I just, wanted, I just want to suggest to you this morning, I believe Martha had settled in her heart who Jesus was. And she decided, I'm going to put my hope in that truth. In this whole story, Martha is the only one who never doubted, who never gave up hope. Now, she, she had questions. And she was hurting, but she never doubted and she never gave up hope. I believe that she had settled in her heart who Jesus was. And we see this in Matthew 27, uh, verse 27. She said, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah. Notice she, she didn't. Look, I, I know your mama named you Jesus. But I know you're much deeper than that. I know there's more to you than that. I know that you are the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. In fact, when you look deeper, it actually means the one, the only one who is above any circumstance and above all situations. She says, I know that you are the Messiah. And she put her hope in that truth. We have to settle in our hearts who Jesus is and put our hope there. Now, listen, Martha is not flippantly optimistic here, right? She's not just putting on a smile. She's just not pretending that nothing went wrong. No, no. She's assigning her hope and faith to Jesus, who Jesus is, not what Jesus can do. And she's definitely upset. She's definitely didn't like the fact that Jesus didn't come sooner. In fact, she has no qualms about letting him know that, right? But she's also very vocal about her faith. This is what she says. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, I don't, I don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense. I mean, you, we, I know if you would have been here, if you would have came earlier, I, I know you love him. But if you would have been, we wouldn't have gone through this whole pain. We wouldn't go through this whole process. We wouldn't go through this whole confusion. And I, I just don't know. And maybe you've been there well as well. God, if you would just show up, then I know that I wouldn't be going through this. But these next three words are the most powerful words in the story. In fact, I want you to say them with me. Can you do that? Just say them with me. But... I, come on church, say it one more time, but, but I know that even now, <laughs> while he's dead and in the grave, even now, while you could have came early and you chose not to come early, even now, in the midst of my pain, even now, in the midst of my confusion, even now, in the midst of my hurt, and even now, in the midst of my darkness, I know, I know, and so I'm going to put my hope in you, even in the most difficult of times. 
Listen, Martha had an expectancy of God, not an expectation of God. And we really need to note the difference here. She had an expectancy of God, not an expectation of God. Sometimes we place expectations on God, like, like where we say, okay, God, I got this problem and I need you to solve it this way. That's what really helped me out. We do that all the time, right? We, we do that in our prayer. Jesus, if you could just do this, if you could just open this door, if you could just provide this way. We put these expectations and what we're doing, we're attempting to put God in a box and he doesn't fit in the box. And you know what happens when we put expectations on God and then those expectations aren't met, we lose hope. Listen, our hope is not in the outcome. Our hope is in the one who holds the outcome. And I believe Martha had come to that conclusion. I believe she had heard what Jesus said. And she said, I'm going I'm to put my faith in that. I'm not going to put my faith in what I see or what I know to be true around me. No, I'm going to put my faith in what Jesus said about himself. Well, what did Jesus say about himself? Look what he says. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live. Even though they die, which is very true, that happened. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You need to understand this this morning. Jesus didn't offer her resurrection. He is the resurrection. You know that this morning, right? The resurrection is not an event that took place 2,000 years ago that we acknowledge every Easter. The resurrection is a person. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. He doesn't claim to have truth. He claims to be the truth. And that's what I'm going to put my hope in, that he is the way, even in the midst of some of the most darkest of times. What am, I, what am I doing here? I'm choosing life by setting your hope in God. I'm not going to focus on what I see, but what Jesus said. I, I'm going I'm I'm to, I know the cards that I am looking at. I know the hand that life dealt me, <laughs> but I'm just going to go all in on what Jesus said. I'm going to take all the chips in my life. I'm going to push them right to the middle of the table, and I'm just going to go all in on what Jesus said. I'm going to put my hope in him. I know, I know it's a difficult task. And I know some of you, 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 you've been in a season for a long time, and maybe you just feel like, man, life is just one big punching bag. And if you're here and it's just dark, and you're here and you just, you're, you're at the front end of that definition is hopelessness. Can, can I just remind you that the cross had to come before the kingdom? And at Jesus' death, the immediate response, the immediate reaction was the sense of hopelessness. But in actuality, it was the greatest act of hope. God has something for you this morning. I want to close with this quote. It's a beautiful thought. It says, as we mature, we begin to realize that the spirit of Christ is actually within us. That the cross emerges in, off the printed page and it stands upright before us, confronting us with our own Gethsemanes and our own Golgothas. But also our own resurrection through which we ascend spiritually into the true presence of the Lord. That the resurrection is for you, and God wants to bring resurrection to whatever darkness you may have.
But you have to choose life. And when you choose life, you'll receive that resurrection power. And it could happen to you right now, or it could be a part of the process where God begins to do a transformational work in your life, but you have to choose. I just want to encourage you this morning. Keep choosing life. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this truth. Lord, I know it's a difficult But, Lord, I know you have something greater for us. So, Father, I pray in the next few minutes as we get quiet and we hear this song and we listen to the words, Lord, I pray that the cross would resonate in our life. The resurrection would resonate in our life. It's who you are. And would you bring resurrection power and life to our darkness? I pray for anyone here this morning worshiping with us online and worshiping here in the house of the Lord. God, I pray today would be the day that they would start to choose life through your power, through your grace, and through your mercy. And I ask this in Jesus' name.